0: A good morning and welcome to Christ Church. It's so good to be with you guys, whether you're joining us here in East, whether you're joining us over in West, or you're joining us online. It's good for us to be worshiping. God together, my name is Pastor Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on our pastoral team, and we are in our third week of our Happy Trails series, in which we talk about the stories from Paul's missionary journeys. And so, a couple of weeks ago, Vicar Nathan did a fantastic job of telling us all about the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we'll call him Pastor Paul around here. But last week we were introduced to Barnabas a little bit more, his traveling companion. And I would remind you a little bit about Barnabas is that Barnabas is actually his nickname and not his given name. That his given name is Joseph, but he's called Barnabas because he is so encouraging. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And so this is exactly the type of person you want along on your travels and your journey because you need that encouragement in your life. And Barnabas is also special as well because when he comes to the group of apostles, he comes bearing a gift. It says that when he came to the apostles, he sold a field that he owned and brought the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And so these are two qualities of generosity and of encouragement that make Barnabas an excellent traveling companion for Paul. And so Paul and Barnabas, just to get you guys caught up, last week we talked about them being in Antioch of Galatia. Uh, They started in Syria. They went over here. They went up this way. And so they're in Antioch of Galatia, which is a Greek speaking area. And to remind you like what happened in Antioch, because things went well and then they kind of turned south. So Paul and Barnabas, they get there, they go to church on Saturday. They visit the synagogue for the Sabbath And at the end of the uh, service, they are asked to give a word of encouragement. And so Paul's like, oh boy, do I got a word of encouragement for you. I'm going to tell you guys about Jesus. And so he takes them through the story of the Jewish people, and he names some of the big landmarks, the promises that God had made, the historical figures that had been important to the Jewish people. And he said, look... All of those were just landmarks on the journey and all of it culminates in the story of Jesus. And so for the first time, Paul tells them the story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And how that all the promises that came from their scripture before were all fulfilled in Jesus. And the people who heard it were like, wow, this is amazing! This is indeed good news. We liked that so much that you need to come back next week and tell us about this again. And so they do. So they come back the next week, and almost the entire city comes out to hear them preach. But as there were people that accepted and believed the message that they had, there were also some people that were not too happy about what they were saying. Some people who were not quite on board with the message of Jesus and were not big fans of how popular Paul and Barnabas were becoming for preaching this new message. And so they rallied a crowd and an angry mob and they ran them out of town. And so the ending of the story from last week, it says, they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure if that would be my reaction to being run out of town by an angry mob, but certainly these guys are some pretty special people that they were like, I'm just gonna shake the dust off my sandals, no big deal, and do so joyfully as they move on to the next town. So this week, our story takes place in Iconium in Acts 1 through seven. And to go back to our map for a second, remember they were in Antioch, way up here in Galatia, and they're making their way east and a little bit south down to Iconium, which is still in the same Greek-speaking region of Galatia, Uh, but they're in this new place. But despite being in a different place, they encounter a little bit of deja vu, a little bit of the same thing happening So scripture tells us that the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the mind of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But even still, the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the towns of Lystra and Derbe in the region of Lyconia. Now, I think what's really interesting about this is that last time it says, hey, they got rejected, they shook the dust off their sandals, and they went with joy to the next town. But after encountering the same thing happening twice, that some people accepted their message, but some people so violently rejected it that they tried to get a mob together to stone them, I would start to feel a little bit discouraged right wouldn't you and i think the question that comes to my mind the thing that i wonder and i ponder when i read this story is that why if they're doing everything god has asked of them why is there still such opposition why aren't things going better why aren't things all going right if they're doing exactly what god has asked them to do i mean just look at this checklist of the things that they were doing That Paul and Barnabas, they gave up their wealth to do this missionary journey. They preached the gospel wherever they went. They lived moral and upstanding lives. And they even performed miracles that God gave them the ability to do signs and wonders as confirmation of what they were saying. And so it makes me wonder, like, why if they're doing everything God asked them to do, they're doing it all right, why is it still hard? Why are they still facing opposition in their ministry? And I think that's something that we can relate to for ourselves. Because I think at given points in our lives, we've all had this moment in which we've asked, why is it when we're doing everything right, how can things still go Wrong. I had one of those such moments last week. So, my eldest daughter turned three, and for her birthday, one of the things I wanted to do with her is take her to the pool for a special daddy and daughter time. And so, I was like, hey, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna do this all by myself. And to me, like in, in my relationship with my wife, like I try to be the fun, carefree dad but sometimes that makes me the not most responsible dad. So I was like, hey, for this trip, I am gonna be the most responsible and the most fun dad at the same time. And so it was just me and my daughter, and I was like, all right, we're getting sunscreen. We're getting suits on before we leave. We're gonna make sure that we have extra towels and clothes to change into, and we got fun toys to play with when we get there. I gotta make sure that I have their little cards so that they can check in and, I was like, I am all prepared, all set. I even checked on the website to make sure that the Cedarburg pool was gonna be open. When I went at 11, I was like, yeah, it opens at 10. This is gonna be great. So I load my daughter up in the car and we go to the pool and we get there and the parking lot is empty. And I'm like, oh no. And so I'm like, okay, Hannah, dad's gonna get out of the car and I'm gonna go check to see what's going on and you just stay here and sit tight for a second. So I get out of the car and I go and I see a sign that says, due to being short-staffed, we're gonna open up at 12.30 today. And I'm looking down at my phone and I'm like, it's 11. There's no way we're hanging out in this parking lot for an hour and a half. And so I saunter back to the car, feeling a little bit defeated and I climb in the car and my daughter, she says, dad, what's going on? And I was like, well, You know, we we can't do the pool right now. And she says to me, But Dad, you told me we were going to do the pool today. And y'all, I was so defeated in that moment. And I was like, I did everything right. I was so prepared for this moment. Why does it feel like I failed? Now, with my story, it, it has a happy ending. We just we went to Culver's for a little bit, we took a nap, and we came back later, and we had a great time. But the thing is that it doesn't always work out that way. I remember a couple of years ago, I was sitting with this guy who had moved his family from the East Coast to be here. You see, he had gotten this opportunity to invest in this project, which was supposed to be amazing and awesome. It was going to help a lot of people. And the return on the investment promised to be really, really good. And so he prayed about it a lot, and he was absolutely certain that this was what God was calling him to do. So he moved his family with his kids here to Wisconsin from the East Coast. He started up the project. But after being here a year and a half, the project was about to fail. He was about to get rejected by the city that he was working with. And he had made such a substantial financial investment in that that it was on the verge of bankrupting their family. And he goes, Mike, I'm, I'm so certain that this is what God was calling me to do. And the project's about to fail. I'm about to lose my money. My wife just got out of the hospital with kidney stones and my kids have been here a year and a half and they still haven't made any friends at school. If I'm doing everything that God asked me to do, why is it still a struggle? And in the moments, I didn't know what to say. I had another friend's who lost her sister to cancer. And as she was telling me the story of how everything had gone, she said, look, we did all the doctor's appointments. We never missed an appointment. We gave every single medication that we were told to. We went to church every single Sunday, and we had my sister on the prayer list. We even had a group of prayer people come over to our house and pray over my sister on her bedside. We had the pastor come over and anoint her with oil, and every single morning and every single night, we prayed for her. And she still died anyway. And she said the worst thing, she said the worst moment in the whole thing, the knife that just twisted in her back is that after her sister had died, she was sitting with some people from her church, and as she was lamenting and saying, you know, why did God let my sister die when I did everything right, one of the people that she was sitting with said, maybe you didn't pray the right way. Maybe if you just would have had more faith, your sister would still be here. Suffice it to say, my friend has had a hard time coming into church since then. Because when we have that transactional understanding of God, that if we just do all the right things and we do it the right way, then of course God is just going to bless us. And God has to make it happen, and it doesn't. That shakes our faith to the very core. And it's not just us. We're not the only people that ask this question of, if I'm doing everything right, why do things still go wrong? But other people can't deal with that or understand it either. They struggle with this idea, well, if your life isn't going right, then you must be doing something wrong. And the crazy thing is, like, I don't completely believe Blame people for not getting it. I think we can be cruel and awful, but at certain points, if you were to think about what our faith asks of us, and you were to take Jesus out of the story, it would sound a little insane. Like, imagine that you're trying to explain our faith to somebody who's never heard it before, And when you get done explaining it, they ask you these questions. They say, okay, so what you're saying is that God wants me to give away my stuff. Yep. And wants me to forgive and love my enemies. Yep, that too. And stay away from my vices. Yep, that as well. And then I'm supposed to talk about this God with the people that I know and sometimes even strangers. Yeah, that too. Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm supposed to do all those things and that means that God is going to make me wealthy, right? Like cars, money, houses. Probably not. Okay, okay, maybe not wealth but Maybe health, right? You know, I won't ever have to worry about being sick again with this God at my back, right? Definitely not. Okay, so if I worship this God, I'm I'm at least going to be popular, right? People are going to like me, right? Well, maybe but in the best-case scenario, you're probably going to lose friends the more you talk about God, and you're probably going to strain your relationships with your family members. And worst-case scenario, maybe you end up like Paul and Barnabas, where people want to run you out of town for what you believe. And so we come to this place where, man, Christianity looks often... Foolish without Christ in the middle of it. And Paul had a reflection on this foolishness, this insanity of this faith that he had taken up, that he had gone to a lot of these places as a missionary, but then he would follow up with them and write letters. And so, in his reflections to the people at Corinth, he wrote So, when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See how Paul centers Jesus Christ at the middle of it. To say that indeed all of this looks foolish and offensive even. But at the heart of it is this Jesus that in his life and his death and his resurrection reveals the power and the wisdom of God. And this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. This foolish plan that Paul is talking about is this idea that God would send his one and only son, to this world, to teach us about the kingdom of God that was possible. That through love and generosity and mercy, that a new life is possible for our people here. And that new life is possible with God in the next life as well. But Jesus doesn't come as a ruler or a conqueror. He doesn't come as a wealthy person but he foolishly comes as someone with nothing, who travels with little more than a couple of friends and the clothes on his back, proclaiming the good news of what God is doing, and a part of that foolish plan was for him to be executed by the Roman government in order that he might rise three days later and confirm the truth of everything that he said, and give us a promise that we would have resurrection with him. You see, it's in the risen Christ that we get this assurance that following him is anything but foolishness. That to do the things and to follow after Jesus is going to look silly to everybody else. But when we truly meet Jesus, we know that we can't do anything else but to follow him. You see, Paul himself starts in this place where he is a part of that mob. He is a part of a mob of Jewish leaders that end up stoning the martyr Stephen for proclaiming about Jesus. And that Paul that Paul becomes the guy who now is in the center being threatened by the mob to be stoned because he cannot stop talking about Jesus rising again. I think about Peter, the apostle Peter, and before Jesus dies, he meets this serving girl who asks him if he knows Jesus, if he's one of his followers, and Peter, in his fear that he might lose his life, Can't even admit to this serving girl, this little girl, that he knows who Jesus is. And less than four months later, Peter would be in front of the same group of men who contemned Jesus to death, unwilling to recant his story about this Jesus who has new life and who gives us new life as well. And so as both Peter and Paul take on this radical story of Jesus, I'm reminded that Peter and Paul and Barnabas, they know something about faith that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world but only makes sense to those who know Jesus, is that faith doesn't fix our struggles, but it is faith that gives us the strength to persevere through them. that it is faith that moves us along in the middle of our struggles and not the thing that magically zaps them away. Because the thing is, when we carry our faith and our hope in Jesus, Jesus walks with us on the journey. That there is no struggle that we could undertake that Jesus would not understand. There is no heartbreak that he has not experienced. And so the miracle of faith is not that everything gets fixed, but that we worship a God who knows exactly what we are going through in our hardest moments. And Jesus gives us the hope, the light at the end of the tunnel that new life is possible now and in the next one. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks that you have sent your son Jesus to be with us, to walk with us, to be with us and to help us persevere through our hardest moments. We ask that you give us the strength and the faith that Barnabas and Paul have that no matter what opposition we face, we might continue to walk faithfully in your word, telling people about you and staying committed To the life that you've set before us. God, I ask that in the middle of our struggles and our problems, and when we ask why, why, when we're doing everything you asked us to do, why are things going wrong? We ask for your comfort and your peace. We ask that you might remind us that the miracle of your presence. Is what sustains us and moves us forward, that keeps us putting one foot in front of the other until we reach eternal life with you. God, we ask that you give us the strength to forgive those around us when they give us opposition, to help us forgive those who might reject us for our faith, and that, God, you might open hearts through the work that we do following you. We love you so much in your name we pray. Amen.